She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode 10. 731. This episode originally aired on Friday, December 1st, 1995. It was written by Frank Spotnitz and was directed by Rob Bowman. It was filmed in British Columbia, Canada, and it had a viewership of 17.68 million, which since episode six, Too Shy, is up nearly 3 million viewers. So it has increased. Nearly 20%. Yeah, Yeah, nearly. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Good job, X-Files. <laughs> Speaking of X-Files, which we're going to be doing because this is an X-Files rewatch podcast, previously <laughs> on X-Files, and we get a recap montage of the last episode which includes zipping up an alien corpse into a body bag and then soldiers bursting into the train, which is actually reversed because they did that first and then they zipped up the bag. And then they're firing their weapons. And then Matheson is telling Mulder about the men who were murdered. And then Mulder sees what looks like a recovered UFO in the warehouse. And then we get Penny going, oh my God, when she sees Scully at the door. And then Scully showing Mulder the implant that all the women said they were implanted with. And that was also removed from her neck. And then Penny telling her that they're all dying when they're like in the little CT thing. And then did we see some men walking the alien onto a train, like a live alien? And then Mulder is telling Scully about it. And it's like, it was alive. And then X warns Scully that she needs to get Mulder off the train. And then Scully warns Mulder to get off the train. And then Mulder's like, nope. And jumps on the train and loses his phone. And then I'm also pretty sure it's kind of hard because the sound of the zip up of the alien corpse in the body bag kind of covers it up a little bit but i'm pretty sure it's the same voice mm-hmm. that says previously on the x-files the last time and honestly like i'm assuming it's the exact same audio because why would you re-record it just use the same audio like you don't have yeah to. no i would bet i would bet actual money it is the same guy like as far as i'm concerned like it sounds exactly like yeah. him so but it should i mean if it is it's like hopefully it's the same audio file too and they didn't like go to the trouble of re-recording it because why would you do that right then we're in perky west virginia and there's a gate that has barbed wire all over it. And we see several military transport trucks heading towards it. And at first I was like, wow, that truck is making a lot of noise. Because there's a whole bunch of trucks behind it, too. So a bunch of trucks. And they smash right into the gate. And the chains that are holding it closed, like, just burst. And then on the ground, we see a sign on the smashed gate that says Hansen's Disease Research Facility. And then the trucks pull up in front of what looks like this abandoned building. And then a bunch of soldiers rush out. They got guns. And then inside the building, we see this trap door in the floor that opens ever so slightly. And then from the POV inside the trap door, we see the soldiers enter. And they're herding what look like a bunch of aliens in like pajamas or probably like prison camp uniforms outside. And they're making like all these like kind of like mewing, like almost like cat like noises as they're getting herded out of the room and then once they're all gone someone pops up the trap door and runs through the window and he's wearing like the same kind of like clothes at the like probably like camp uniform kind of thing and he watches the soldiers put the alienoid people in the back of the truck and then they all drive away and then we see the man racing through the woods and like he's got white hair and his skin doesn't look super great and he's like one of his arms is kind of like a bum arm he's kind of like holding it close to his body as he runs And then the truck stops and the soldiers make everyone get out. And the man, he's watching them through some trees. And then the soldiers line the alienoid people up 
and tell them to turn around and they're facing this big hole in the ground. So you can kind of imagine. Yeah. And then they all just open fire. And the man watching is like visibly upset as he watches them from the trees. And then soldiers walk over. Like, I guess they're making sure that everybody's dead in the hole. And then they just kind of like walk back to their truck super casually. And then we get the theme song. Yep. Which I was telling a friend this morning. I'm like, I don't know how the show didn't give me constant nightmares. Cause like stuff like that, <laughs> just like really Holocausts, you know, imagery and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, it's I would just... say the, the little, like I called them pajamas. I think that's what those, those, what they're wearing. It's supposed to totally like bring mm-hmm. that into mind. Cause it's that. Yeah. Kind of like it's yeah. definitely very much like that kind of imagery. And like, I went to the Holocaust Museum once when I was in D.C. by myself and I went there to just go to museums for like a week. And I did that one on like day four and I didn't sleep for two days. Like I was just so I mean, everyone should go, but it's also just so horrific and awful that it just like, yeah, that kind of stuff always really bothers me. So this is just like, oh, oh. and then the theme song, instead of ending with the truth is out there, it ends with apology is policy. Yeah, I get it because the end, but that yeah. one, that, that's a really weak one. To, it's like, a weak out. one. And also, I mean, I get what the, I get what they're saying. I mean, this is a very political episode in terms of like what they're saying about the government. And that's kind of what it boils down to. So that's Chris Carter's like log line yeah. there. But I don't know that it needs to be on the theme song. Like that's the not going to sell T-shirts like that yeah. one didn't end up. In yeah. the fandom, canon, I mean, I like, think I think trust, trust no, no one. one would have been better on this one. Than, yeah, yeah. I mean, they've used that before, obviously, but yeah. yeah. But anyway, I just wanted to mention that because whenever it's different, I want to go ahead and point that out. Yeah. And it's not in Japanese. <laughs> it's not in Japanese. It would have been cool if it was. That I was surprised sweet. last episode they didn't like do it in Japanese. I wouldn't have been able to see if I knew enough kanji to read it because I only know hiragana and katakana and i know like 30 kanji so a very tiny amount so i probably wouldn't have been able to but it would have been cool so then scully's on the phone because you know as we left off last time he had just jumped onto a train and lost mm-hmm. his phone and so she's like Mulder, Mulder, yes Mulder jumped onto yeah. a train who else are we ever talking about <laughs> that's not I mean, true there are plenty Skinner, of men in this show you could be talking about the cigarette smoking man talking about x about Tori's um but we see basically Mulder land on the train again and drop his phone. And then Mulder swears. And like, he kind of gets up and starts moving along the top yeah, of the train. Says, Damn it. Yeah, he does. Clearly a stuntman, as you mentioned last time. Oh yeah. You can tell. The train. <laughs> you can, it's it's kind of funny. Cause I watched it and I'm like, you can definitely kind of tell when it switches back and forth. Although the company did do some of them walking. Yeah. But, I'm yeah. guessing the dude is wearing a wig because it looks like he's wearing like a knit hat. Like the wig <laughs> is so bad. It looks like he's wearing a knit hat. So yeah, it's hair. not great. But, it's not yeah, great. Anyway. <laughs> so back in scully's apartment scully demands the x tell her what's on that train and x says it doesn't matter now and scully says the government is operating a secret railroad and they put something living on that train and x is like well <laughs> what more is there to know sounds yeah, like you, you got it covered yeah and scully wants to know how the japanese and a man named ishimaru are involved and x doesn't know so he turns to leave but scully pulls her gun and is like, don't tell me you don't know, you smug son of a... And X quickly disarms her in a single motion. Like, he just reaches out, grabs the gun. It's very awesome. Like, it's He's very He's a badass, cool. yeah. He's he like, is. Yeah. He is a badass. And he tells her that there are limits to his knowledge. And he asks, what was she going to do? Shoot him? Just like the men who shot her sister? And Scully's like, you know them too? And X tells her that if she wants to find out what's on that train and who killed her sister... She needs to find out what they put in her neck. 
The implant holds more than he could ever tell her. And then he hands back her gun and he leaves. Yeah, it seems like Scully might have to start believing some of that stuff actually happened. Yeah, she might she might have to <laughs> get out of her little denial cone and move out into the world, which I think she will. But yeah, it's, she needs to work on that. Yeah. So on the train, it's dark now, and Mulder climbs down a ladder to the side of the car, and he manages to get inside using a back door. And then on the car that you know he's trying to get into, right, there's a big metal door that's labeled quarantine. And it has a card reader and a keypad next to it. So Mulder still like tries. He like yanks on the door, but it's locked. He's not getting in there. Mm-mm. So he heads down the passenger car and he stops the conductor. And he shows the man his badge and says, like, I need your help, federal agent. I need access to the quarantine car that you picked up. And the man apologizes but says he can't help him. And then Mulder tries to insist, but the man explains, like, I don't have access either. Like, they pick up those cars from time to time and they never know what the cars are carrying which doesn't seem like a good policy, but anyway. Mm-hmm. Mulder says that someone on board must know, and the conductor tells him about a man who came on board in Queensgate, a doctor whom he saw checking the door and who might have something to do with it. And so Mulder asks what the doctor's name is, and the conductor pulls out like a piece of paper or something, and he's like, Dr. Shiro Zama. He's like, he's supposedly traveling with another group, but as far as I can tell, he seems like he's alone. And so Mulder asks to be taken to the man's compartment, and the conductor leaves the way. Mm-hmm. So Mulder gets on one side of the door and he pulls his gun. The conductor's kind of like, Ooh. but then he tells the conductor to knock on the door, but stay away from it. So the conductor knocks and it's all, Dr. Zama? And there's no response. So Mulder has him knock a second time. And there's still no response. So Mulder tells him to unlock the door and step away. So the conductor unlocks the door, steps away. And then Mulder bursts in the room with his gun drawn, but there's no one inside. But there is a briefcase on the bed and so Mulder opens it and he finds a notebook full of pages written in Japanese. So Mulder hands the briefcase to the inductor and tells him to put it in a safe place. And then he pulls out the second gun that he's carrying now, apparently all the time. (laughs) And he tells the conductor that if Dr. Zama finds the conductor before Mulder finds him, that he wants the conductor to make him lie on the floor. And then the conductor kind of is like, "Mm," and he's like, have you ever used a gun before? And he's like, no. So then Mulder takes out the clip and then makes sure, you know, the chamber is empty and then pulls the trigger several times. He's like, if you see him, just point the gun at him. Don't pull the trigger because that'll give away the game. And the conductor's like, well, what if he runs? And he's like, well, make sure that he runs in my direction. So. I mean, it is then, smart not to give a guy who doesn't know how to fire a gun, like a load, like just to give him an empty gun. Like that is clever, but yeah. Yeah. And then we'll talk about the Japanese text in Zama's notebook later. And Tori, our resident Japanese expert, can pitch in as well. I would say former Japanese student, not expert at all. But Well, of the two of us, you are probably the Japanese I have expert, some so. conversational Japanese. I can read like really okay. So Tori might not characters. pitch in, but I'm going to talk about Japanese text <laughs> at the okay. end of the podcast. So, yes. cool. so then we're at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and it's 8.25 p.m. And we see Scully is back with the computer tech, Agent Pendrel who's feeding the implant chip impulses. Like he's got it hooked up to something and is sending impulses through it. And he believes that the chip is storing data. And Scully asks if it's biological data. It's storing Dana. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but um, and Pendrel says that was actually his first guess. And he asked for clarification. Like he's like, was the chip implanted subcutaneously at the base of the neck, which Scully confirms. And he says then it makes sense it would be recording impulses traveling to and from the central nervous system. And Scully's like, but? 
And so then Pendrel points to the graph on the computer screen. And he says, those are reverberatory loops. They indicate the presence of circular neuron activity in the brain. And Scully's like, memory formation. And so the chip seems to be mimicking the memory formation process. And Scully's like, like a hard drive. And Pendrel says, yeah, but no hard drive they've ever seen. The chip could both be collecting information, but also artificially replicating a person's mental processes. And Scully says, you can know a person's every thought. And Pendrel nods and is like frightening. Ooh. Yeah. And then Pendrel tells her that he showed the chip to some of the tech heads and they weren't as impressed as he thought they'd be. And Scully's like, what, they've seen it before? And Pendrel says that they'd seen neural nets before, just never one this complex, nor are they likely to. And Scully's like, what does that mean? And apparently the chip is so delicate that by working on it, he's effectively destroyed it. But he did find something in the silicon matrix that he believes is the name of the manufacturer. And Scully is like, is it Japanese? And he's like, yeah, how'd you know that? And Pendrel actually checked up on it. And there's no record of the manufacturer here or in Japan, except this. And he hands her what looks like a shipping label. And it reads, name of contact person, Dr. Shiruzama, with a phone number and the address of a research facility in Perky, West Virginia. Mm. So Pendrel had all the shipping companies and the USPS go through their records. And it was the only shipment like this that he could find. And Scully tells Pendrel to keep up the good work. And she kind of like gently pats his arm. And he awkwardly returns the compliment. And he's like, keep it up yourself. And Scully leaves. It's kind of awkward. And after she leaves, he does that thing where you just like repeat the thing you said. Like it was the dumbest thing. And you can't believe you said it. He's just like, keep it up yourself. What a doof. So he's clearly like kind of embarrassed. It's cute though. I thought it was a cute scene. So back on the train, we see Dr. Sama who we also know as Dr. Ishimaru yeah, walking through the versa. train car. Well, yeah, we just know him as both. We don't right? know what his real name is. Yeah. We don't. And the red-haired man, who Nick points out is not red, not. is sitting in a seat and watches him pass. And then as soon as he like walks by, he gets up to follow. And Zama realizes he's being followed. And so he ducks into a bathroom, but the assassin grabs the door before he can get it closed. And he pulls out his garage and Zama's just like, please, you know, don't kill me kind of thing. And the assassin pushes into the bathroom and closes the door. And pretty much as soon as the door closes, Mulder appears in the hall and he passes the bathroom door just as the little indicator switches from vacant to occupied. Yes. Ooh. Not good. And a garage is like basically piano wire with handles so you can strangle people just in case people don't know. So. Yeah. And Dr. Zama slash Ichimaru is played by Robert Ito, who has done a bunch of voice acting work. He's been on shows like Johnny Quest, the animated Iron Man series, Batman, the animated series, Superman, the animated series. And he was on the real Ghostbusters for at least one episode, which is exciting to me anyway. I don't know if it's the context of just being on a train but especially because with his features but like Stephen McCaddy who is the not red-haired man he would have at least visually made a really good Sherlock Holmes I think I mean he's got those kind of like pinched features yeah he does he has that look he kind of has a Hugh Laurie-esque-ness to him but yeah yeah. Which Hugh Laurie did not play Sherlock Holmes. He played House. No, I was thinking thing. it was funny because later we're going to see his face like up close. And I was kind of like, like he's a mashup of like 
Robert Patrick and like Willem Dafoe or something like he's oh, okay like yeah he does have kind of thing yeah but I like also a definite William Dafoe energy yeah for sure. but I definitely get the 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 Hugh Laurie I get that too yeah he's got yeah. one yeah yeah so then we come back from commercial and we're back in perky West Virginia everybody's perky I guess I don't know it's not a real place anyway uh, it's night and a car pulls up to Hanson's disease resource facility and it's Scully and she gets out and she's got her flashlight and we see that someone is watching from a window and then she's looking around and then we hear like a door bang and then we see in her flashlight someone run past and she's like hey stop and they run inside a building several people actually go inside a building and so Scully chases them inside and up some stairs and then inside there's like some lanterns on the table and so she like pulls off a glove and like touches the lantern see if it's warm and apparently is because she's like when she touches it and then she hears this creak noise and so she turns her flashlight over and she sees someone in the trap door looking and then the trap door like closes so she goes over and it's got like fishing wire or something to make it easy to pull up and so she pulls it up and inside there's all these people all their faces are like blotchy and patchy and like that and then one of the men is like please don't hurt us so they're all hiding in there mm-hmm. and then it includes the guy that we saw earlier who was yes saw the alienoid people get shot I think his name is Escalante, but we don't ever get it in the episode. Yeah, it's credited as that, yes. So then back on the train, Mulder is like walking through the passenger cars and he's obviously looking, you know, for someone. And he ends up back at the restroom and he notices the door is like swinging open, but it still says occupied. So he pushes it open and Dr. Zama is just laying there and he's rolls him over and he's strangled. He's got like blood on his neck from the wire. And the woman behind him with a kid is like all, oh, he's been murdered. <laughs> and Mulder's like, closes the door and he's like, no, no, he's just got some motion sickness, but you probably want to go find another bathroom. You know, nothing to see here. <laughs> Carry on. And then he opens the door again and looks at Zama's body. He's like, oh, man. Yeah. And we see Scully is talking to the people who are in the building and she reassures them that she's not going to hurt them. She's an FBI agent and she asks them what they're doing here. And that man who, again, whose name we learn in the credits is Escalante. It's never said in the episode. He's the one from the opening. He says they live at the facility and have for most of their lives. And she asks what kind of facility. And he says the Hansen's disease research facility. And Scully's like, wait, is this a leper colony? And Escalante says, not anymore. The facility is closed now. Yeah. Hansen's disease is what leprosy is officially called now. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And Scully tells him that she came here looking for a Dr. Shiruzama. And Escalante says, Dr. Zama isn't there anymore. None of the medical staff is. They all left before the death squad started coming. And Scully's like, what death squads? Like, that's not something that you want to hear. And Escalante says, that's who they've been hiding from. They thought she'd come to kill them like they killed all the others. So Escalante leads Scully through the woods and she asks how many have been killed. He tells her hundreds, all but the few who are back at the facility. And Scully doesn't understand how there could have been hundreds of people there when leprosy is now a treatable disease. Escalante says there is treatment for it. He and those other folks became disfigured before the treatment. And so the disfigurement forced them into the camps. And Scully asked who the others were. And Escalante says they never knew. They began arriving several years ago, but they were always kept apart from them. They didn't have Hansen's disease, but they did have deformities. And Dr. Zama would round them up in groups for treatment. But the ones who returned always came back worse with terrible burns all over their bodies. 
And then he gestures to the hole in the ground because they have reached it and says over there. And so Scully runs over and she looks down and she just sees heaps of bodies in the hole. And Escalante says, there are more of these pits. They just dump the bodies on top of each other like they're garbage. Which, I mean, all of this is just incredibly sad. Like, obviously the genocide and these people being experimented on and then killed. And then these poor people with Hansen's disease who, like, feel like they can't be in society or for whatever reason are remaining at this facility. Like, I feel like they should all have run for it. I mean, maybe they don't have anywhere to go, but like, oh, it's just such a bummer. I'm like, dude. You're you come get an apartment somewhere together. I don't know. I feel really bad for all of them. So then they hear a helicopter and a light appears in the sky, and Escalante is like, "They're coming!" So he runs, and Scully runs too, but she kind of runs in a slightly different direction. He does. And then she gets in the trees, but then like the spotlight is like shining on her at some different points. And then suddenly all these red lights start approaching her through the trees and it's soldiers with like infrared scopes on their rifles. And one of them tells her that if she moves, she's dead. And then as they're taking her into custody, she hears two gunshots. And we can imagine what those probably were. Yeah. Yep. And then Mulder's walking back through the passenger car and he finds the conductor. And he tells him that he found Zama four cars up, strangled in the bathroom. Hmm. We see the train later. There's not enough cars for there to be four cars up. Anyway, I just realized that. Mulder instructs him to seal off the bathroom and tells the engineer not to stop the train until Mulder says he finds the killer. Mulder heads back to the last car, which is the quarantine car. And he sees that the metal quarantine door has been opened. So he draws his gun and he goes inside. Mm-hmm. And it's dark inside, and then there's another medical bay, and at the back, there's a room. And so through a small hole in, like, some blackout paper that's on the window of the door, Mulder sees an alienoid-looking person inside. It's <sighs> all moving around, wearing, like, some kind of pajamas that we saw the other people wearing. Mm-hmm. And then it's a commercial. It's early for a commercial, but it's definitely a commercial break, and we don't get another one until the next normal time. So it's definitely a commercial. Oh. Yeah. Tori in her notes wasn't sure if it was commercial break. But yeah, I couldn't tell because it was just like a break. But Yeah, it's definitely a break cut. But then there's not another one until our normally scheduled time for like the third commercial break. So this is your chance to get off the couch and get more pizza and use the restroom before it comes back because there's not going to be a break for a while. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit longer than normal. Yeah. So, yeah, because this one's a little bit this one's a little bit early. So. so then someone grabs Mulder from behind and we see it's the assassin with his garage. And Mulder struggles and they knock stuff around. And then the conductor appears with the gun that Mulder gave him and tells him to stop. Like he tells the assassin to stop. And the assassin gets up and pulls out his identification. And he says he's a law enforcement officer. But the conductor doesn't seem to buy that. So he kind of like rushes out of the car and shuts the door, locking them both in. (gasps) Yeah. What's interesting here is like as far as the conductor knows, and I was thinking about this before the break, like either one of them could be the assassin. Because like so far... Like, everything Mulder has done would be, like, perfect assassin, like, modus operandi. Like, he's like, help me find this person. Here's some ID. And then he gives him an empty weapon. So then he's not, like, a danger. Uh And then he's, like, trying to get the guy to help find him. And he's like, oh, I found this dude dead. Don't tell anybody until I can find the killer. Like, it's totally like Mulder could be the killer. The dude For sure. So. And I think at this point, he honestly doesn't know who to trust. And unlike Mulder and Scully, he has embraced <laughs> the lifestyle. Yes, I was say, trust no yeah. one. 
I mean, admittedly, like as far as like the not red haired man goes, like most law enforcement officers don't carry around like groats. So, right. You know. But even if you ignore true. that, he like did the best thing he could do because he just like, I'm gonna lock you both in here. Too bad. So yeah, <laughs> trust no one. Lock you both in. You guys can you guys can sort it out yourselves. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> You're both a danger to this train. Yeah. So good job, conductor. <laughs> so meanwhile, Mulder has roused himself and he tells the assassin to put his hands in the air and turn around. So the assassin does, and he tells Mulder that he has no idea what he's dealing with here. And Mulder tells him maybe he should have filmed him in before he tried to kill him. And then Mulder's like, who are you? And the assassin says that he works for the NSA. And Mulder's like, since when did the NSA start issuing piano wire instead of guns? And so the man gestures to his chest pocket and pulls out his ID. And he says, since we learned there's a bomb on this train. And Mulder says there's something on this train, but it's not a bomb. And he has the assassin kind of throw him the ID so he can kind of look at it and then throws it back. Mulder's like, I'm the bomb on this train. (laughs) (laughs) But the assassin tells him the car is wired to an explosive device. It armed automatically when he entered the car. And Mulder's like, why? And the assassin says, because of what's in that room. And he gestures to that back room of the car that's like all locked off that's behind Mulder. And he says that because if the man responsible for it couldn't get it out of the country, he'd rather kill it than let it live. So you killed him, Mulder says. And the assassin claims that was the only humane alternative. And Mulder is like kind of getting impatient and warns him to put his hands back up. And the assassin says the bomb could be wired to anything in the car and the slightest bump could set it off. So if Mulder fires his gun, he's taking his chances. And Mulder's like, yeah, well, I'll take my chances. So the man, like, he's like, okay, no reasoning with you and puts his hands back up. Yeah, because he was starting to turn around and, like, like he was going to walk out. Was- yeah, he was kind of like, see, I'm talking you out of this. And then Mulder's mm-hmm. like, uh uh-uh, uh, nope. Sorry, buddy. Hands up. No, you can't talk me out of crazy. Haha. <laughs> anyway, so then we see soldiers <laughs> leading okay, Scully. We, we need a t shirt that's just like, you can't talk me out of crazy with Mulder and his sunglasses. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> getting kids we're doing alien hunting <laughs> so then we see soldiers that are leading scully back in the facility building that, that she was in previously and tori in her note says the godfather conspirator so if you remember the guys in the syndicate there was one guy we made fun of because he sounds like he's doing a bad godfather impersonation so that is who this dude is mm-hmm. i um, think he's technically elder number 11 or something but i feel like godfather yeah, the transcripts are elder number one i think is what it said or something but we're yeah. just gonna call him i don't know what we're gonna call him but um, i call godfather him godfather conspirator. conspirator yeah i had to admit at some point, someone told him, like, chill out with the Don Corleone impressions because he actually talks like a normal person in this scene. Yeah, um, he has a little bit of that accent, but yeah, it's, it's pretty yeah. much gone. So he is at the window and it's dark in there. And he tells them that he wants to speak with Miss Scully alone. And so they leave. And she's like, how do you know my name? And he says that he knows most everything about her. She asks who he is and what this place is. And he says it was one of the most frightening places on the earth where society sent its monsters. But now science has eliminated the disease that plagued humanity for centuries. And Scully says that she's seen his methods of elimination and demands to know what happened to Escalante and the people who are in this room. And he says they had been exposed. And she's like, exposed to what? And he says the same thing that all these people were exposed to. Victims of an inhumane project run by a man named Zama. 
And Scully's like, you mean Ishimaru. And she's like, you hid him here after the war. And he continued his experiments. And he tells her, the ruler of the world is no longer the country with the best soldiers, but with the best scientists. Unfortunately, Ishimaru began to conduct his work in secret and refused to share it with the government that had granted him asylum. Scully asked what he was exposing people to. And he says, terrible things. And she asked, like, what kind of things? And he doesn't answer. And she asked if she's been exposed. And he's like, I don't know. But I'd like to show you something that will give you answers. And then he walks past her and holds a door open. And I'm like, did I miss the part where Scully figures out that Dr. Zama and Dr. Ishimaru are the same person? Because we only know it because we saw him on the train. Well, Zama, that was the name on the chip and also the shipping label. And I think yeah. she... She connected that to the guy who experimented on her because he's the one who put the chip in her. So she's making okay. that connection. It's not like he's the only person. Japanese person on the planet. So no, but she's somehow connected the two of them okay. and realized that he was using the name Zama to get the chips and then put the, I don't know. That's her. Okay. It just seemed like a big jump. Dots. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> anyway. So I also wonder this scene. I wonder if this was supposed to be a scene with the well-manicured man. And he wasn't like available for filming or something because it, it seems like this would make more sense if it was him because he has history with Scully. And then also now we have two members of the syndicate who are like covertly like aiding or protecting her, which seems weird. So yeah. I, I wonder if this was supposed to be a scene for him and just like he wasn't available. And so they that would make sense. It. That would definitely it seems more like his kind of thing as opposed to the other dude was like, oh, well, we're going to send our men to go kill all these people. Right. In the last mm -hmm. one. So, yeah, it just seemed like maybe it was supposed to be, but like, maybe he wasn't available. So they were like, oh, well, we'll just bring someone else in. That's entirely yeah. possible. Yeah. Although from their point of view, I guess they just want to stop Mulder from whatever nonsense he's doing. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Mulder nonsense. So they're back on the train and we see the conductor is standing outside the door and he's got a maintenance guy with him. And he calls inside to Mulder and he asks if he wants them to try to pry the door open. But the assassin's like, wouldn't recommend that. So Mulder tells the conductor no. And then he asks the assassin for his key card. And the assassin tells him that it won't work. And Mulder, like, you know, there's a key card reader, but also like a key code box. So that requires a code. So Mulder's like, well, Zama must have given you the code before you died. What was it? So the assassin tells him that it was 1111471. And so Mulder, like, turns like he's going to start typing that in but then the assassin's like but he assumed zama would be smarter than to give him both the entrance and the exit code which is probably why the assassin left the door open because he realized he couldn't get, get back out so he assumes that using the code to get in activated the bomb and using it again will almost certainly set it off Ooh. and Mulder's like if there's a bomb where is it and the assassin's like i don't know could be anywhere and Mulder's like, no, if it's wired to this car, it couldn't be anywhere. It'd have to be on this car. And so Mulder thinks the assassin is like full of it. He doesn't work for the NSA and there's no bomb on the train. So he goes up to the keypad and the assassin's like, well, you're choosing a hell of a way to find out. But Mulder's like, shut up. And he swipes the card and he starts typing in the code, but he doesn't quite finish. And there's this ringing that goes off, which like jars him, right? Because he's like worried the bomb's going to go off. And all of a sudden there's this ringing. And he realizes it's the assassin's phone. And so he turns around and tells the assassin to answer it. Yeah. So the assassin answers his phone and he's, he does have a government issue phone. It was just like Mulder. So maybe he does work for the NSA. Who knows? And he's all, 
yes, yes, just a moment. And then he's like, it's for you. <laughs> and some older has him like set the phone down on the table and step back. Some older picks up and it's the Godfather conspirator dude. And he's like, I have someone who'd like to speak with you. And then we see him hand the phone to Scully. A lot of phone exchanging here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we see Scully and the Godfather conspirator dude, and they're standing in what looks like a similar train car, but it's like covered in plastic. Cause we know people love to cover things in plastic on these files. And Scully says that they've gotten involved in something that's not what Mulder thinks it is. And she's like, whatever's on the train, it's not an alien. Mulder tells her that she's wrong and he ushers the assassin back so he can get to the room where like alien person is being held. So he's like, get back, dude. I don't want you jumping me. So Scully tells him that Ishimaru was experimenting on human subjects in a leper colony. And Mulder tells her that whoever he was, he's dead. And he doesn't think that this has anything to do with lepers. And then he shuts the glass door to the medical suite to separate him from the assassin. And then he puts a tray of instruments, like rolls it in front of it. I don't know. I'm guessing that's there because, like, that's not going to stop the dude from coming in, but maybe it's just because it would make noise if the guy tries to. Right. So he would be warned because he's looking away. Like, that's not going to stop him from coming in. But yeah. So Scully says the leper colony was a front. The tests were done on the homeless and on the mentally ill, and that all the people brought there were subjected to disease and radiation tests. And Mulder looks through the window at the person in the room and he asks Scully who told her that. And she says, the man who handed her the phone. And he asks her, well, why do you believe it? And she says, because of what he's shown her. And he asks what he's shown her. And meanwhile, the assassin is like standing at the glass door and Mulder like, dude, don't even think about coming in here. He points his gun at him. And Scully tells him that she is standing in a train car, just like the one from the alien autopsy video. Only she's been there before. She tells him this is where they brought her when she was missing and where they put the implants in her neck. And then Tori says the Godfather conspirator gets very shifty eyed here. I don't know. He gets like a look on his face where he's, I don't know if he's surprised by the implant thing or if he's just like, oh shit, maybe I've, I don't know. He has a weird look on his face. I couldn't mm, figure out what okay. it was supposed to mean. And then Scully tells Mulder that it all makes sense. Ishimaru was using the secret railroad to conduct experiments across the country. The women in Allentown all remember this setup. And Mulder asks what she's saying, and she says she's saying there's no such thing as alien abductions. It's a smokescreen created by the government to cover up the biggest lie of all. And he's like, what about the UFO I saw? And she says, that wasn't a UFO. It was a piece of a Russian nuclear sub that was raised. And then he asks her how she can be so sure, and she says, I have what I needed. Proof. Two weeks ago, the president issued an apology for radiation tests conducted on innocent civilians up to 1974. Only guess what? And then Mulder says, those tests never ended. And then Scully tells him he has to stay out of that train car because there's a bomb on it. (laughs) And if it detonates, thousands will die of hemorrhagic fever. That's what the test subjects inside had been exposed to. And Mulder tells her that it's a little late because he's locked inside that very train car. And then the assassin walks away from the glass door and Mulder starts to follow him. And Scully says they have to get him out of there because their vice is on a timer. And he's like, where is it? And she says, it should be in a ventilation shaft up on the ceiling. And it's hidden up inside. So Mulder finds it. He tells the assassin to open it. The assassin opens it. And Mulder steps under it and looks. And there's a bomb there with a counter. And it has one hour and 41 minutes and 57 seconds left. And then we get to a commercial. Yep. Woo. Oof. That a lot. That's a lot. That That's a lot. lot. I need a beverage. Also, I really do like, <laughs> like don't get in that train car. There's a bomb. And he's like, oh, shit. 
oops too late yeah. i'm already in that drinker yeah there's a lot to say about this scene but i think the biggest thing to say is that scully's scale of what is proof and what isn't proof is kind of incomprehensible to me like it's basically just confirmation bias. I wonder, like, if the guy from the syndicate had said, yep, it was aliens, and we've been working with them for decades. Like, would she have been so easily, like, yeah, okay, I take that as proof. Like, Yeah, I, I know. know. And I think part of it is that she, her memories are coming back, so she remembers this place, and when she stepped inside, she was like, <sighs> but, I mean, it's very gut feeling more than actual proof. Like, it is, it is proof. Like, I've been here, but, like, you don't really know. Yeah someone I have no need to trust at all showed me something. And so that's proof. Yep. Cause it matches yeah. what I think. Well, so. it matches what she remembers. So that's a little different, but yeah, I mean, it could, I mean, she could have still been there and it could have been aliens doing the experiments. You know what I mean? Like, so, but I think it's just lining up with what she believes, which she believes that whatever conspiracy is going on is people being evil. Whereas Mulder believes whatever's going on involves extraterrestrial life. And so I think that's where they diverge. But yeah, yeah. it was just it was she's like, I got proof. And I'm like, Do you? <laughs> you have more proof than you've had previously? Like you've seen other stuff and been well, she's had more like, proof, but they no. haven't kept it. <laughs> yeah. Files and stuff, they've never they've never managed to hold on to it. So but she's seen it, she's had it in her hands. True. And so true. but that proof doesn't count because that doesn't match with what she wants to yeah. Although I would argue that proof is also just of government malfeasance and not necessarily. That's true. Aliens. I mean, yeah, that could be, yeah, we have no idea. We have no idea how many layers there are to this onion. Right. And it's like, you know, is that correct? Is it really just a lie to cover, you know, the fact that they're kidnapping women or citizens and experimenting on them? Or is it a lie to cover? Is it like a lie to pretend that it's a lie, but really it's just to cover alien experimentation? I mean, who knows, right? Yeah. And also going back to what we talked about last time, like all the people in that group were women, right? Right. They all go to the white place. But then Dwayne Barry didn't go to a white place and Dwayne Barry saw aliens, not me. Right. So, so mm, who knows what's going think. on there? Yeah. yeah. And then also just like hemorrhagic fever is actually a group of RNA viruses known as viral hemorrhagic fevers, VHF. And the CDC currently lists 14 VHFs, which include like Ebola and yellow fever. And most VHFs have no known cure or vaccine. Mm -hmm. And just to bring it back to F. Emasculata, Cigarette smoking man told Mulder that there was an outbreak of hemorrhagic fever in Sacramento that the government like covered up oh, because they didn't want to cause that's a panic. Right. That so I just want mentioned. to point out yeah. that was has been brought yeah. up to them before as like a government thing, which maybe was a cover for something else. Who knows? Yeah. But it is kind of a general term for oh for so sure. It yeah. Be, it could oh, be yeah. any number of viruses. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we come back from commercial and Scully asks how much time is left on the counter. And he tells her a little more than an hour and a half. It's actually like an hour, 41 minutes or something. And 58 seconds uh -huh. right for the commercial break. Yeah. So she tells him that they want to get the conductor to stop the train at the next station. And then they'll evacuate the train and they'll get a bomb squad out there so they can like have them deal with it and hopefully get Mulder out. Okay. But then Mulder like pretends that the call breaks up and like hangs up on her, which is... <laughs> I don't know. It was just at first I couldn't tell if he was doing it on purpose, but then you're like, oh yeah, no, he's totally just hanging up on her. And Godfather conspirator asks what the next stop is. And Scully's like, I don't know. It's not on the map. And then Mulder tells the conductor to tell the engineer that there's a bomb on that last car. He wants him to skip the next scheduled stop and reroute to a remote area where he can unhook this car and then, you know, move on. So they're not in the blast radius. So the conductor leaves and the assassin's like, what are you doing? You're going to get us both killed. 
And Mulder tells the assassin to kneel and put his hands behind his back. And the assassin's like, they're never going to find us in time. And Mulder says that if what's on the train is as important as he thinks it is, they'll find them. So we see a man get out to reroute the train off the main track. And then the train stops and we see a man like unhook the last car and then, you know, get back on and the train pulls away. Meanwhile, inside, the assassin tells Mulder that he's going to die. And Mulder's like, what do you care? You were going to kill me anyway. And then we see the assassin is like leaning up against that medical bay door. And he notices a scalpel is on the floor behind the glass. <sighs> so Mulder looks up and he sees that the bomb's timer shows an hour and 11 minutes. And we see Scully is driving somewhere and her phone rings and it's Mulder. And he makes a joke. He's like, you haven't seen America until you've seen it from a train. And so she asks what happened. And he says that they're not going to make that station. And she figured that. And she asks if he knows where they are. And he doesn't, but he's sure that they're going to find him. They probably lit up every spy satellite in this hemisphere. And if Scully is right, he wanted to be away from a populated area. And then she counters that if she's right, they won't want to find him. But he doesn't think she's right, does he? And he says, they'll have to wait and see. So then like time passes and we see there's 38 minutes left. And Mulder says to the assassin, they're not going to come, are they? And the assassin's like, well, I said you were making a mistake. And Mulder says the assassin got on the train to kill Zama, but then what? What were his orders then? And the assassin doesn't answer. And Mulder's like, look, we have like a half hour left to live. Who are you protecting? And the assassin says they don't make provisions for saving his life. And Mulder asks about the creature in the quarantine room. What about him? And the assassin doesn't know. And Mulder says the assassin knows what the thing in the room is. And the assassin doesn't actually contradict Mulder. And again, Mulder's like, we're both going to die, but I'm going to die quickly. And he aims his gun at the assassin. And he starts talking about how shots to the stomach are the most painful way to go. And he makes a joke about how he tends to miss. And when he does, he misses low. And so then the assassin tells him that the creature is a weapon. And he's like, what kind of weapon? And the assassin says, imagine something more valuable than Star Wars, the atomic bomb, or advanced biological weapons. And Mulder's like, an army immune to those things. That's what Zama did, isn't it? And he was trying to smuggle it back to his own country, only our government doesn't want to share. And he's like, it's an alien-human hybrid, isn't it? And the assassin looks up and is like, well, then again, if that were true... You'd expect someone to have arrived by now. Yeah, he probably is NSA because he's very good at disinformation there. He's like, I'll tell you a story. But then again, if what we're talking about is true, they probably would have come for us and they haven't. So right. maybe it's not. Yeah. <laughs> when he asks the assassin, like, is like what it is, and the assassin finally agrees and tells him it's a weapon. As soon as he says that, Mulder's like, puts his gun down and like crouches next to him to like listen to the story. It's like, he's just like, oh, what? It's kind of funny. He just like, is totally into the story. Like, you know, Mulder will drop everything (laughs) and like do the stupidest thing. If he thinks there's alien, like proof of aliens, he really will. Like, I love Mulder. He's like, totally got his gun on him. And the dude goes, it's a weapon. And Mulder's like, oh, and he like puts his arm down. He like (laughs) goes over and like crouches down and like, tell me more. Like, oh proof of aliens is Mulder's kryptonite it really is he's like what pretty, let me know kind of tell me everything he's all, yeah he's all Mr. Hardass then he's like oh what no tell me I want story time <laughs> tell me tell me so so 
So then we see Scully and she runs into Mulder's apartment, takes off her coat and throws aside her purse and she starts digging through his desk drawers and then she finds an address book. So she picks it up, flips through it, dials the number on the phone and then she's like, I'm trying to reach Senator Matheson at home. And she's like, I already tried his office and this is an emergency. My name is Dana Scully and I need to talk to him. And the other person online asks for her number, which she gives them and then she hangs up. And then she finds some masking tape in a drawer and she puts a big X on the window and then she grabs the alien autopsy video out of her purse and she sticks it in the VCR and hits play. Yes. She's like, I'm Dana Scully and I need to speak to the senator at, at his house. Can you please put me through? Like, they're not going to, because she didn't say like I'm an FBI agent or something. She's like, I'm Dana Scully. So I guess maybe they're supposed to know who she is because they're not going to connect her to us. Or maybe she's hoping that it's the senator's wife or something. And he'll be like, Dana Scully's on the phone for you. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Your mistress is on the phone. Would you like to talk to him, honey? <laughs> yeah. They're not going to do that. Anyway. Also, I'm glad she's been carrying Mulder's taper on the whole time. That's convenient because otherwise we'd be in trouble. So. Yeah, no, it's really important. Yeah. 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 I was going to say that it's really good that Mulder took it home. But then, like, Scully was the last person watching it in the office. So it's like, oop, mess up. But then I actually, you see, she's like, pulls it out of her purse because she threw it on yeah. the couch. And so, yeah, I was like, oh, she's just been carrying it. Well, then again, she knows not to leave stuff in the X Files office that has a tendency to disappear. Oh, I guess. Then we're back on the train car and a phone rings and Mulder answers and it's Scully. And she may have a. Wait a minute. How did she know what number to call? Oh, she. I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe she had the number from the phone. Maybe she got it so she could be in contact with them. Uh, no, he called her. He called her. Um, he called her when something. she was in the car. Oh, so maybe she had it on. Maybe she actually yeah. used Star 69 this time and called it back. Yeah, okay. so he did call All right. her. So I, like, she did have... I didn't even think about that till just now. I'm like, Wait Yeah, no, he called minute. her in the car. So He called her to yeah. tell her that he wasn't going to make the stop. Although so, yeah. she's obviously calling Mulder from his... Is she using her cell phone or is she using his house phone? I don't remember, but she could have. Even cell phones back then, though, had some caller ID, so she might just have the number on her cell phone. Okay. Uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I was like, wait a minute. So yeah. this may be a mistake or it may be explainable. Either way, it's Scully who called Mulder, and she's like, I may have a code for you. She watched Zama punch in the code on the alien autopsy tape, and he's like, huh, I might get my $29.95 worth after all. And so she's like, well, according to my watch, you've got six minutes left. Is that right? And he's like, I hope not. because He hopes he has more than six minutes left <laughs> in his life. Yeah. And so she reads in the code. It's one, zero, one, three, three. But then his hand gets in the way and she can't see the last one. And she thinks it's a one. So he tries one and the keypad lights up green. Yay. But then the assassin, boom, hits Mulder from behind. Mulder falls on the ground. And Scully's all, Mulder, Mulder. And the assassin hits Mulder a couple of times and kicks him. And then like yeah, opens the door mm -hmm. and then goes out to the main door to leave. And as he starts to look out the door, boom, gunfire. And he falls back on his back onto the floor of the train car. And he's like, oh, oh, oh. someone walks over him and they walk over to Mulder. Mulder's all unconscious and face is all messed up. We find out that it's X. Yay. So X looks up at the clock on the bomb and it's only got 58 seconds left. And then he goes back to the train and he looks through the little hole at the alienoid person. And then he looks back at Mulder and then he looks back at the alienoid person. And the next thing we see is X is carrying Mulder out of the train car and then it explodes. <laughs> and then the stunt man carrying another stunt man kind of stumbles a little bit. And, <laughs> and yeah. 
Yeah. As much as that wasn't Mulder on top of the train, that was not X carrying a body. That was someone else. Yeah. But still, I mean, it's X carrying Mulder. It is funny that from the overhead shot, we see the train explode. And in the overhead shot, it explodes. And the person carrying the body is just like walking like normal, like walking away. But then when we get the like the ground shot of the explosion, the they're all like, oh, 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 explosion. Like, oh, I'm stumbling. So it was kind of funny. They must have cut that up differently but anyway yay x save molder yeah i guess the redheaded assassin is dead yeah and also i think it's funny because i think x is like looking at the alien looking at molder and i think if he could have gotten the alien out of there within a minute i don't know what choice he would have made mm-hmm. well, he, <laughs> but he, he probably i mean he's he's apparently a pretty in shape dude he probably could have like one over one shoulder one over the other shoulder. yeah yeah carry both of them that yeah. would have been cool but unfortunately he couldn't so he just but at least he got molder out which is what matters so yay yeah. So then we're at FBI headquarters in Washington, D.C., and it's one week later. And Scully enters the X-Files office, and we see Mulder's on the phone, and he's basically telling whoever's on the other line to let him know if they hear anything. And we see Mulder still has, like, bruises and marks on his face, so he's not, you know, he's healing, but he's yeah, not quite got there. got a little slit in his throat from the wire. Yep. And he tells Scully that no one, not the rail operators, not the forestry department, nobody knows what happened to the train car. It exploded, it's, Mulder. I, well, was there. I saw it. It exploded. <laughs> I know you were unconscious, but it exploded. Well, he, I think he means the remains of it because, you know, explosions don't just incinerate everything. Oh, okay. And Scully asks Mulder if he's been able to get a hold of satellite photos. And Mulder tells her that Senator Matheson isn't returning his calls. His aides keep telling Mulder that he's out of the country. Mulder doesn't sound like he believes that. And Scully tells them that the administrator at the hospital where Mulder was admitted said that someone called and alerted them to Mulder's location. She went through the records and she found that that call was placed from a phone booth in Blue Earth, Iowa. And she asked if he tracked down the briefcase that Zama left on the train. And Scully says yes and hands him the briefcase. And Mulder's like, uh, this doesn't look like the same briefcase. And she's like, well, that's the one they gave me that the conductor said that Mulder gave him to hold. So Mulder opens it, and there is a notebook with pages written in Japanese, but the handwriting is different, and even the notebook's different. Like it's got like a bigger yeah. The cover is definitely different, and Mulder's like it's all been rewritten. Yeah, and it's like totally different handwriting. Like it doesn't actually. It's not. It's not. It looks different to me. We'll get like bigger. Yeah, we'll get to that later. It is bigger. It there's less of a margin on the pages, but okay. It's, it is the exact same text. Well, like I said, we'll get to that more later, but yeah. Okay. So he says they're all the same journals, but they've been rewritten. And apparently the bodies are gone from the leper colony as well. And Mulder's really mad. He's like, oh, they're getting away with it. And Scully's like, they've already gotten away with it. And Mulder insists that he knows what he saw, but Scully knows what she saw. And Mulder is doing their work for them by chasing aliens that aren't there and helping them create a cover. And what they can't cover, they apologize for. Apology has become policy. (laughs) Like they apologize for radiation experiments on people, I guess. Yeah, also our little tag. Well, yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that's where they came from. So Mulder says he doesn't want an apology and he doesn't care about the fictions they invent to cover their crimes. He wants them held accountable for what did happen. He wants an apology for the truth. (gasps) And then we see someone sitting at a desk and that person is like reading Zama's real journal, which is the first one we saw and like writing a translation. And then we see the cigarette smoking man is in the room with the translator 
and he takes a drag on a cigarette. So he's just sitting there smoking while the other guy works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he strikes a match. Like the guy's looking, reading, and we hear a match strike. Yeah. Yep. And it's over. Yep. That's the end of this two-part episode. So Rob Bowman calls this episode one of his all-time favorites. He really likes it, and I guess he enjoyed working on it. He set up seven cameras to catch the train car explosion from every angle, and the train car was actually a real decommissioned train car that they blew up with 120 black powder bombs and 45 gallons of gasoline because he really got to get that fire going for TV, I guess. Mm-hmm. I and wonder, then, th- like, how what the process is for decommissioning a train car? Like, it's, it's a train car, like it's not like a military like ship or something. It seems weird, like. Yeah, I don't know. It's like it's like it's a train car they're not using anymore. I don't know what they need to decommission, but it just seems like a weird phrase. But they probably yeah, do that because well, they're all they probably do because they're numbered and they're all like whatever. Yeah, so they, everybody you know, has their own little things they have own, to do. So yeah. yeah, it just sounds funny. Like, and then they use the steady cam to help get some of the close up shots in the train car with Mulder and the assassin because that was the best way to do it because it was a tight space. So. So now I came up with a name for this section of numerology nook. Oh, nice. I want to rewatch. It's kind of like something corner, but I want it to be alliterative. So numerology nook. And we're going to start with the title 731. So Tori and I were talking and she wasn't sure what the 731 was. And I did a little quick, easy looking. And it turns out unit 731 was a real life Japanese army unit in World War II that basically did the same kind of Nazi shit that Nazis did. So mm-hmm. like prison of war and that kind of stuff. And then a lot of them, as it is mentioned in the episode, they were set free at the end of the war to go work for various governments. And there's rumors that they did this kind of stuff during the Korean war and use biological weapons and all that kind of stuff. And then also related to that. So our doctor in this episode is Takeo Ishimaru. And then his alias is Shirozama. That's actually an amalgamation of the name of the real unit head of 731, whose name was Dr. Shiro Ishii. So they kind of took like the first name Parts and then of his name, the last yeah. name. And so, yeah. So that's where the 731 comes from. Then the codes to get out of the train car, the first four digits are 1013, which is obviously the name of the production company that X-Files is made by, 1013 Productions, which is named after Chris Carter's birthday, October 13th. So we use 1013. And then it's followed by 31, which in my thing is like, maybe because Halloween, because 1031 is Halloween. Halloween is an awesome day, but I don't know. But then maybe it's just because it's backwards of 13. Who knows? The scene where Scully's giving Mulder the numbers, I wasn't a big fan of because she's like thinking out loud as she's doing it. And she's like talking on the phone. She's like, one... And then she's like one zero and then she's like one zero one and then she says three and it's like a good thing he wasn't ready because I would have started typing the numbers as soon as she started talking <laughs> and obviously would have typed in the wrong numbers and I probably yeah. would have died when the bomb exploded. So that wasn't the best scene. Anyway, the exit code is six digits, but strangely, the entry code is seven digits because it's mm-hmm. four ones, four seven one. So and I couldn't find any numbers about that if that's like anything that's important or not. So. It just seemed weird that the first one is seven digits and the second one is six digits. That seems strange, but yeah. And that's all I've got for numerology nook. I almost called it corner because that sounds better, even though nook is alliterative, but I don't know. I just made it up and it wasn't that big. So I maybe shouldn't even give it a special name, but I did. And then finally, 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 finally talking about the Japanese text. When we see the notebooks, the Japanese text is horizontal. 
And I think when most people think of Japanese text, we think of vertical, right? You read Japanese text from right to left. You start in the right-hand corner and you read down and you go to the next one you read. Mm -hmm. So it's like right to left, top to down. But Japanese text is actually written horizontal. And actually since World War II, it's more commonly written horizontal. And you will see on the internet that someone says it's a mistake because when the translator is reading the text with his finger, as he's doing the translation, he reads it from left to right. But that is actually how Japanese text is written when it's written yes. horizontally. It is written left to right, like normal, it is. Like, like, like English language. So you'll see on the internet that it's a mistake. They messed up. They actually didn't mess up. That's how it's written. Yeah. It's more common with young people. Mm-hmm. So Ishimaru probably would have written like traditionally, like he probably would have written it vertically, but it's actually computer printout. You can tell it's not handwritten. It's actually like it's fonts. And right. as we were mentioned earlier, in both notebooks, Every page is the exact same text. Yeah, well, because they don't expect you to really look at it or know you're American. Yeah, but then both notebooks actually have the exact same text too. But oh, on the second notebook, funny. like you said, it does have a different cover on the journal. But then, and then also it has like a very super like minimum margin, and so it looks like different text. But it's actually yeah, the it looks same. bigger to me. Yeah, but, but it's actually this. If you go back and look, it's actually the same exact page on every oh, page that's of funny. notebooks so yeah i don't know what it is i didn't i don't know japanese so i don't even know if it's it might just it might just be garbage text for all i know yeah so, i didn't bother to try yeah but it is horizontal it's not like if you because because if you read horizontal from left to right that actually if you rotate 90 degrees that would also be up and down from right to left but the characters are formed, right so they're they're read horizontally it's not like they just have a page wrong so yeah yep so the internet actually is wrong. Ha, ha, internet, you're wrong. <laughs> Good luck convincing them of that, but <laughs> yeah. I wish that's you act- luck that's on your journey. actually on the X-Files wiki fan page, the fandom webpage. Oh, I yeah. say that it's an error. And I was like, Mm-mm, I know enough I mean, about I didn't, Japanese to know that's not right. Yeah, I didn't so. look at the Japanese on the page, so I didn't try to like, and I probably couldn't because I don't know enough kanji to really reliably read it unless it was written for a small child and had furigana on there, which it did not. So I yeah. couldn't read it. But it's definitely a font. Like they use a computer to print it out. Oh, I thought it was. I mean, it's you just see in a flash. It looked like handwriting to me. It looked like it was neater on the first one and a little sloppier on the second one. No, it's the exact same. It's just like I said. There's less margin, so it looks bigger. Uh, Oh, gotcha. It's the exact same. Yeah. So. Yep. That's all I got. All right. I guess we got to do that. Was that was the second part of this episode? (laughs) Yeah. Nisei and seven three one. Very so fun. you had said that your ratings for the last episode were colored by this episode. Yeah, I mean, I, well, I think it's hard for me to separate it when I've like seen both parts. It's hard for me to look at um, one part and go like, because I don't even half the time remember. I mean, I know we talk, we have notes, so we know where it ends. But it's like, I don't remember thinking back in my brain. I'm like, wait, where did episode one end? I mean, obviously it ends with the train, but like, you know what I mean? Like it's all kind of lumped together. Well, especially because they kind of do the same thing they did in the last two-parter, which was though, I guess, three-parter, right? Anasazi and the blessing way where they actually replay a section of the video, not just in the like last time on, but then they replay it again in the actual episode at the beginning of the episode, not to the same extent they did there. Cause that's how we got the whole scene was like Scully and Skinner doing their face off. But this one, we did get like Mulder jumping on the train again. Yeah. Even though we got it in the last time and then they show it again. We do the same yeah. thing. So. But I mean, I think this one's an eight for me as well. Like I think it is the okay. same episode and I like it. I love the X is the one who saves Mulder's butt. I mean, Scully does too. Cause she gives him the code. So she also saves his butt, but then the assassin, 
tries to kill him because the assassin is an assassin, not a very good yeah. person. So <laughs> Mulder is lucky that apparently they did a fake out on the whole scalpel thing because he didn't use the scalpel. So yeah, able, I don't think you get, get it. Scalpel. Yeah, so they did a little fake out on that. So but yeah, X saved his butt, which is really cool. And you know. I mean, I think it's good. It concludes everything that I wanted concluded from part one. I mean, it's depressing, but like, okay. it makes sense. Yeah. We both gave the last episode an eight. Yeah. I'm going to give this one a seven, however. Okay. Because I don't know. I mean, there was a I was kind of bored. Oh, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't as like, as I expected. Like a lot happened. It just seemed like we were going to lead up to more stuff and then it kind of never did i mean there's exciting stuff but it's not like it wasn't like maybe my expectations were just too high so um because it seemed like we had a really good usually the first parts aren't that great and so this one was actually it was for a first part and also we talked about the whole thing of how it was definitely like this was a first part right you definitely were waiting for the next part to have a yeah it was thing. one episode cut in half it was not yeah. like part one of the story with its own conclusion part two it was very much like yeah um, so yeah i just i don't know it just seemed like it didn't live up to my expectations i guess i should say so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna ding it a little bit for that i'm just gonna give it a seven so that makes sense Still, I mean, still better than a lot of the episodes that I give <laughs> ratings. Yeah, to. I mean, I so. like it. I think in true X Files fashion, we don't really get a solid conclusion either way because the alienoid person thing is gone, so we don't really know. Like, and all the bodies are gone from the ditch, which yeah. you know, the fact that they kept throwing people in a ditch like trash, and then they're like, "Oh shit, people know they're here. We got to move them." Like, when they also made. A very big I don't want to say they made a big point but to me it stood out when Scully is talking to Mulder on the phone about how like it's not aliens you're wrong it's like they're doing experiments on people Mulder looks through and is like I know what I see they made a very conscious effort I think to make sure that we saw that the alienoid person had a nose oh I don't know that I noticed that it had like a note not like not like a full nose right but like more nose than you would think of an alien having. although to be fair Mulder thinks it's an alien human hybrid not that's alien. true yeah but it did so. have like it, it had and I don't remember like we haven't really seen a lot of live aliens on the X-Files I mean like Dwayne Barry stuff and that kind of thing but the nose thing seems to be new to me okay so so yeah it's yeah it's just unclear like you know i think you could take it either way and i think you could be on team scully or team Mulder here and you could and also much believe. more human-like eyes big orbital sockets yes but actually had like pupils and stuff i believe if i remember correctly it wasn't like the standard alien eyes we normally see where there's like the opaque you know black or dark color kind of thing definitely more of like eyes eyes as we think of eyes so yeah yeah so i think you could go either way with it like whether you want to believe Mulder or you want to believe scully yeah. either one of them could be correct at this point i think they yeah. both i think the truth is somewhere in the middle 
because obviously Scully has a reabduction experience and Mulder has seen things and so, you know. Yeah. No, I think, I, but I do, I do think they intentionally did it that way on purpose that you do have that ambiguity, like, oh, is right. it, is it kind of thing? So they, so they yeah. made it, so they made it look a little less alien and a little more human, so that you're mm-hmm. like, oh, who's, who's right? I don't know. Oh no. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Can't and then again, if it's yet. a hybrid, then yeah, okay, then it's probably going to be a hybrid, right? It's going to have features of both. So. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Well, again, obviously, since last episode was a myth arc episode, this was a myth arc episode. Mm-hmm. So, yep. And then and our the next, next one myth- is not. It is not. No, myth-arc. we don't have a myth arc episode again until episode fifteen. Oh, so yeah. Get some monsters of the week in there. Yeah. All righty. All right. I want to rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. That's right. We made this, and be sure to join us next time as we rewatch the X Files season three. Episode 11, Revelations. Everything will be known. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and we'll try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. The truth is what we make of it. <laughs> it's not gonna end up on a t-shirt that one's not gold <laughs> sorry oh why not look i had like four x-files posters in my room and i think tr- two of them said the truth is out there and i'm pretty sure one said trust no one but i did not have one that said apologies policy <laughs> oh i don't think those oh. were ever made but yeah <laughs> i'm sure deep down chris Carter knows that one wasn't a hit it's fine they don't all have to be great <laughs> They don't all have to end up on posters. We don't need them all. I'm sure he knows. I don't think Chris Carter is like, man, it's really sad that apology is policy never happened. I don't think he has those kinds of regrets. Well, and maybe he does. I don't know. If I ever interview him, I'll be like, hey, what's your biggest X-Files regret? I doubt it'll be that, but you never know. He's like, I would like to apologize for apology is policy. And you're like, that sounds like policy. And you're like, <laughs> oh, damn, you got me. Uh. <laughs> I think he'll just be like, yeah, that didn't didn't work the way I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you kids and your dog. <laughs> Meanwhile, Darren Morgan's over here writing comedy and everyone's like, Darren Morgan's so great. And Chris Carter's just like sad. He's like, oh, Aww, I really tried with the policy and no one cared. <laughs>
But now you can't talk me out of crazy. Mm, there we go. I got a tag <laughs> I would, Chris Carter. Oh my gosh. I would buy <laughs> like a poster or maybe some really good fan art of Fox Mulder just like wearing sunglasses in the quote. You can't talk me out of crazy. Maybe with like an alien behind him or like uh, a UFO in the sky. Yeah, I would love that. If someone who fan arts wants to do that along with my like I would say this isn't gonna be like no one's gonna hear this. I know. But that would be amazing. <laughs> like if someone wants to fan art that, like, no one's gonna fan art that because no one's gonna hear that unless unless we do it. <laughs> might be an outtakes. I don't know. It might be. I don't know. Yeah. We'll no see. one listens to those, but that's okay. I don't. Yeah. I don't. I have no idea. I have no. Yeah. 